Greetings. You're listening to the ABF Journal podcast. I'm Phil Neifer, Managing Editor of ABF Journal. The banking world endured multiple shockwaves this year with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic Bank. To sort through the debris, Rick DeMonte, president of law firm Robbins DeMonte, joined the show to discuss the multiple unique circumstances of these bank runs, how bank and non-bank ABL firms have and should adjust, and why he is still confident in the regional banking system. Let's get to the call. Hey, Rick, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you, Phil. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to have you on here. We're talking about a topic that I think is top of mind for not just people in our industry, but anyone that is even remotely affected by the economy, which is just about everyone. So uh, to start off with, when we first were planning this, we were just going to be talking about Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. But uh, we recently had the news about First Republic Bank being the latest bank to fail. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit about, at least from your perspective, what led to its downfall and what similarities it has with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, um, if any, and what differences there might be as well? All three banks suffered from the same immediate cause of failure, which was a classic run on the bank. Um, depositors perceived that their deposits were in jeopardy and the amount in jeopardy over $250,000 insured by the FDIC, um, they thought was in danger. Um, so all, all three bank failures, uh, First Republic, Silicon Valley, and Signature Bank uh, suffered from the same classic bank run, which were liquidity issues for the bank. And since we've uh, kind of formed some separation from the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank runs in mid-March, obviously a lot has happened. Um, we, the First Republic, Republic Bank stuff's a little tougher to, to piece through, but what else has happened since those uh, Silicon Valley and Signature runs in mid-March and what has led to those developments? Well, your, your question is what has happened, and I think it's more significant about what hasn't happened. Um, First Republic was in the same trouble at the same time as Silicon Valley um, and signature banks. Um, the difference is they got a $30, $30 billion uh, liquidity infusion by the major banks. So all three of these events happened at the same time. Um, The reason First Republic is in the news again is because as of May 1st, Chase officially bought its assets. So in in my view, all three of these failures occurred at the same time, but First Republic took center stage when its assets were sold to Chase. What hasn't happened significantly is that there has not been additional bank failures. My opinion is there have not been additional bank runs and liquidity problems because the FDIC has jumped in and guaranteed all of those three banks depositors 100% of their deposits over and above the $250,000 I'm sorry, $250,000 insurance maximum. So I think it's calmed everybody down um, so that there weren't even more problems. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up deposits. Um, we're going to get into a little bit of the, I guess, autopsy of some of these things right now. Um, uninsured deposits were obviously a huge part of this. How how did that come into play specifically and play such a large role in these collapses? Large depositors have concern about the $250,000 FDIC insurance cap and whatever their perception may be caused by, um, whether it's commercial real estate in Signature Bank's case or cryptocurrency, Silicon Valley, um, or lack of liquidity in the case of First Republic, um, let's face it, if you think you're going to lose your money because your bank's going to fail, you're going to ask for those deposits. So um, each of those three institutions suffered um, runs on the bank for different reasons because their depositors had different perceptions of why their deposits were in jeopardy. But the immediate cause was the same thing, um, lack of liquidity because there was a classic run on the bank um, for three different reasons. But that's, that's exactly what happens with a classic bank run is that customers, depositors feel as though their um, deposits are in danger of loss. Sure, and I know um, from previous conversations we had had um, that Silicon, bank, Silicon Valley also suffered from a double whammy of sorts of taking money out and investing in 10-year treasury bonds at lower interest rates. Um, how did that contribute to its downfall specifically? I know that's a little bit more unique to it than it is to signatures or first republics. Yeah, Silicon Valley Bank was um, successful and grew tremendously um, because of the um, tech industry and the large um, uninsured deposits um, caused uh, incredible growth for that bank and also the other three banks uh, over the past 10 years. Um, the double whammy that you asked me about is that due to the large amount of uninsured deposits, um, Silicon Valley Bank actually put their um, deposits into 10-year bonds, which they were intending to hold to maturity. And those interest rates were good interest rates in a zero interest rate environment. But what the management at Silicon Valley did not contemplate was classic interest rate risk, which is once rates go up, um, they're stuck receiving two and a half to three percent on government bonds when they could be lending it out for five, six or seven percent. So um, Silicon Valley suffered from a lack of liquidity because so many large uninsured deposits were tied up in 10 year instruments. And from Signature's point of view, uh, I know turbulence in the crypto market really affected uh, that bank. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about how, how that helped cause its collapse? Yeah, once again, a classic run on the bank where we have depositors demanding um, their deposits. It's caused by perception. Um, and the perception was that the crypto market was unstable and quickly losing value. 
So whatever the reason it is for your bank's depositors to believe um, that they're on shaky ground, um, whatever it happens to be. I mean, the other thing Signature Bank had going for it uh, negatively was commercial real estate. And you know, everyone familiar with the pandemic knows that um, commercial real estate, especially office, um, that combined with cryptocurrencies, instability and failures um, caused depositors to believe that their deposits were in jeopardy, causing the, the immediate failure of all three of those banks, of course, was just depositors demanding their money. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, this the, when you were talking about Silicon Valley Bank about how a higher interest rate environment, you know, mm -hmm. Kind of hurt them, uh, hurt it in the long run. Uh, how are there other ways that higher interest rates and a higher rate environment have further exacerbated issues at, at these types of banks? Absolutely. Um, if your deposits are tied up in 10 year instruments bearing two and a half to three percent, and your depositors are suddenly asking for three and a half, four, four and a half percent on their deposits because that's what the market dictates, um, you're immediately gonna be in a situation where you're losing money. And the classic bank profit model is um, pay small interest rates or, or nothing on deposits and lending it, lend it out at two to three to four points higher. And uh, if it's the other way around, um, a bank is not going to be in business for very long. Absolutely. So then I know at the top, um, when we were discussing kind of overview here, you mentioned some of the actions taken by the FDIC. How has uh, that uh, institution acted to avoid a more detrimental domino effect from some of these failures? My opinion is the FDIC did the right thing by preventing a larger problem. Um, I could see how some business and government uh, and common citizenry would be um, somewhat critical of the FDIC and the government stepping in to save depositors and save management over and above the $250,000 uh, insurance level. But I truly believe that by taking swift action in mid-March and guaranteeing those depositors that they wouldn't lose their deposits, it calmed all depositors across the country down. And it made, it made a situation where people who could have lost literally millions and possibly billions of dollars in deposits um, it just, it stopped a major run, um, but it still left um, a black mark on the perception of regional banks versus the eight mega banks. So it was, it's tough. It's tough right now for the regional banks to recover um, from the perception that occurred with uh, Signature and Silicon Valley and and certainly First Republic. I'm glad you brought up our regional banking and I guess since we're having a discussion about banking in general, how confident do you think the market should be um, in the US banking system right now? 
Um, I think the market should be incredibly confident in the U.S. banking system right now. Um, we have uh, three three regional banks um, that suffered from classic classic bank runs and failures as a result. Um, no depositors lost their money. Um, the taxpayers are not paying for these failures, um, and the government and private banking system has picked up all the pieces and going forward. So um, I would be incredibly confident um, about the U.S. banking system right now. And what do you think these runs say about the banking system uh, generally, specifically the regional bank uh, system? You started to touch on that a little bit. The regional bank system uh, took a public relations hit because each of Signature, Silicon Valley, and First Republic were large regional banks. And I think um, the regular news and the financial news took that regional bank moniker and turned it into a bad term. Like it's a regional bank, it must be bad. That's not really the case. There's hundreds of regional banks and they're very solid. What happened was that these were three regional banks that were particularly at risk because of the large amount of uninsured deposits. So I guess what I'm saying is that the, the regional banks um, who are healthy are just fine. It's just unfortunate that the average citizen heard that regional banks are at risk when actually the three banks that failed were in specialty markets. They had very narrow niches. Um, First Republic focused on high income individuals and Signature had cryptocurrency and office real estate and Silicon Valley had its own group of, of issues that caused its depositors to perceive that it was in trouble and particularly vulnerable. Um, but I think the bank, the US banking system, including the regional banking system is incredibly strong right now. I'm sure that's uh, some uh, good news or something that's nice to hear for most of our audience. And speaking of, since the majority of our audience is in the ABL space, I wanna turn our focus uh, to that lens a little bit. How do you think these developments have affected or will affect the bank ABL space this year? Well, certainly the increase in interest rates is going to affect um, the profitability of the ABL system and creates um, an interest rate risk for the ABL organizations as well. I mean, we've been in a zero interest rate environment for 10 years. Um, institutions have been paying zero on deposits and the typical lending rate's been somewhere between two and a half and three and a half percent, five percent maximum. Um, and to suddenly be at a prime rate and um, a Wall Street Journal rate where we are today um, is a vast departure from what we've experienced over the past 10 years. So I would say um, the ABL organizations should be controlling their um, terms, uh, one-year terms, six-month terms, rate adjustments, 
to protect themselves from the interest rate risk that everybody else has been suffering from. Turning away from banks themselves, what about for non-bank ABLs? Could this create more opportunities for them? Does it impact their uh, cost of funds or anything else? Uh, certainly it affects their cost of funds. Um, however, um, it does create more opportunity given the fact that um, so many traditional bank organizations are um, on their tippy toes, walking on eggshells um, about the typical ABL lending um, situation. So, you know, I think uh, every change that happens in financial markets, it creates risks and it also creates opportunities. And I think if you're, you're paying attention, certainly these are opportunities where the ABL organizations can can make money and be profitable. Okay, and then lastly, we'll end on this one, uh, which could end be, uh, being a very dire note or a very optimistic note. Do you expect there to be other bank collapses like this in the near future? Or do you think this has been kind of a blip and the market's adjusted and we'll be okay going forward? Well, I don't have a perfect crystal ball, but I think that we averted the immediate disaster that came to light in mid-March of 2023. Um, there were some organizations that were particularly vulnerable to having uh, high uninsured deposits and the perception of their depositors that there were weaknesses within the organization caused um, classic bank runs, just like in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life with George Bailey and Bailey Building and Loan. So, um, could it happen? Absolutely. But I would think that after the last 60 days have passed, certainly um, regional banks should be um, changing their strategy to adjust for lack of liquidity and interest rate risk. Um, and also to diversify. Let's face it, you know, these three institutions that failed um, were in very narrow um areas and they weren't there they suffered from a lack of diversification so um, there's probably been sufficient time now for bank managers to change their portfolios well it sounded uh, more optimistic to me than uh, than dire so uh, that was good to hear uh rick thank you so much for joining us today i really appreciate uh you taking the time and sharing all your insights thank you for having me it's my pleasure Thanks again to Rick for joining the show, and thank you for listening. Make sure to visit abfjournal.com for our latest content, including our upcoming Q2 23 issue, which will feature our fourth annual Most Innovative Companies list. Thanks again for listening to the ABF Journal podcast. We'll talk again soon.